Cinderella, sunny Stella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered me. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Jay, bringing up the rear. Welcome, Jay, and welcome to everyone else in the <laughs> to the Fringeworthy broadcast. Thank you for joining us this week and every week. We want to tell you that we really appreciate all the comments that have been put up on our boards and various places, and we want you to know that we are ready to answer any questions you have about Fringeworthy. But uh, this particular week, we're going to talk about Fringe Walkers. There's a lot of races in the Fringeworthy game. Uh, This is a new change in the new edition. You see, originally, the Fringe Paths were pretty much of a sterile place where nothing much happened, and they were just a means of getting from one place to another. But then, in the the 1992 edition, we introduced Fringe Weather. All of a sudden, the Fringe Paths became far more dynamic. Not only was there Fringe Weather, there was also animals that might collect on various places, and even uh, a horde of zombies or two. But now, in this latest edition, we now include Fringe Walkers, and there's a number of races that actually are almost officially Fringe Walkers, but we're going to say what it is that makes something a Fringe Walker and why they're out there. John, why don't you tell us something about Fringe Walkers? There are several Fringe Walker races that we know of. Slargs, for one, were one of the earlier Fringe Walker races. We later introduced in the D20 book the old men, Neanderthals, who are a fringe worker race. After that, we also have the Kegax. The Kegax are another fringe walking race because their home world was vaporized. But beyond that, we also have some new races, the old men, the Pangolisks, and the Frupians. Pangolisks, okay. Oh, this is intriguing when I read this one. I said, hmm, this might have some merit here. So what we have here is a race that was created by Melody Natcher. These are essentially the short round of the, the French World of the Universe. <laughs> okay. These guys really don't talk. What they do is they write little notes and they run around and they grab your leg and they yank on you and they point. They're there to be a GM tool to move the action along. I think she said they do talk of sorts like, bus, bus. Over deer, over deer, bus, bus, over deer, over deer. They're designed to move you along in the, the story. They're plot devices. There's an l- adventure in the back of the game specifically about the Pangolists, and so you can get a good idea of the flavor of the Pangolists. Well, let's see, they're cuddly, they're loyal to a fault, they adopt the Fringeworthy. They paralyze color. Well, that, that's actually not a benefit. Uh, I consider that to be a big problem. I, mean, I don't. That's one of the reasons I don't like them is that, again... I don't like the nerf, the Meller. Yeah. <laughs> thing is, though, the Meller are fighting people who are experts at, at bio, biological techniques. I mean, it makes sense that, that somewhere along the line, somebody would have made some sort of biological anti-Meller weapon. 
it was called the slarg and it, and it failed. So where these pangolins came from, nobody knows. According to the write-up, the pangolisks are almost as unwilling to engage as slargs are, or kegak for that matter. In order to use that Melor paralyzation ability, you'd have to be able to hold a panicking pangolisk up to an angry Melor, which sounds like just like a bad day all by itself. This is kind of like the equivalent of a squid leaving a cloud of squid-like ink in the water to confuse its attacker. They turn around, they spit at the Melor, the Melor gets paralyzed for a short period of time, allowing the, the pangolisk to escape. The problem is, is that if the pangolist is with a mixed group like a bunch of friendly people, then they're hosing it because it's standing there doing nothing and it can't attack, can't do anything, which maybe the GM likes that. I know the players are going to like that because Mellor are very scary. If you're going to, to counter this, then you don't want to have one Mellor attacking a group of pangolists because usually it's pretty much going to be over quickly. You're going to want a large group of Mellors, lower Mellors, least, whatever, attacking a group of pangolists. So yeah, okay, maybe the pangolists can freeze a couple of them, but if they stay there, they're going to get overrun and eaten. It's a more defensive weapon for the pangolists to escape. I might want to look at Melody's original concept, which was that the paralyzing capability is universal, not just for Mellor. Given the ability to paralyze just about anybody. You piss off a pangolisk, he paralyzes you, and does some nasty things in your backpack and then leaves. It seems to me that if the Tremelon were so advanced and bright, they wouldn't have made these things with the flaws of being terrified. They would have, they could have coded into the slarg to be aggressive, or did they make these pangolith? It's not said. There's no background on that. The Kegax were involved in the project to make the slargs, and they actually... Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. That, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. See, that's what they do. They go in, they get you to trust them, then they get themselves in a position of authority, a position of, of influence, of manipulation, and then they do whatever they want to do. In this case, they wanted to really screw up the Mallor, and they succeeded. What sabotage? I just wanted to give it the most perfect brain possible, so I used mine. <laughs> Actually, the rationale was they wanted to free them. They saw their brothers as slaves, and they wanted to free them. Of course, they freed them in all possible sense, from morality. The slargs are just really, really in the moment. They're really not about long-term consequences. Wait a minute. So, so Martin Luther, Martin Luther Meepzorp says, uh, <laughs> Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, the Kegak would be the first to line up at the altar call. <laughs> yeah. It's all part of their coloration. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. camouflage. What happened with the Slargs was that the Kegaks were able to invert their fight-flight reflex. Supposed to have a really strong fight reflex and a very light flight reflex. Inverted it. So they have a tremendous flight reflex and just a very, very small fight reflex. So, it, yes, Bruce will disagree with me, but yes, I think you can get a slark to fight, but it's going to be the very last thing ever does. And considering they're not really combatants, yeah, it probably will be the last thing they ever do. The pangolisk, you're talking about the venom. So yes. I take it would be some type of neurotoxin specifically key to melor physiology. Yeah, right. Now, the, the pangolisk could actually be a Commonwealth project. A non-Tamelon project that actually was created by one of the higher tech Commonwealth people. Just not anywhere near what the where the Tamelon were. 
Oh, yeah. The, the Tormelon were easily PL9. This world would probably be by D20 future parlance, I'm, yeah. I'm meaning here. That non Tormelon Commonwealth world might be PL7 or 8. Seven, seven or 8, yeah. So To make a fully functional biological living creature that could spit a neurotoxin keyed to a specific race's physiology. Yeah, that would be PL7 at the very least for these uh, pangos. And I can just see this. This is okay. The way we go and get these pangolas to go out there and destroy all the remaining Mellor is we give them a wanderlust aspect to their personality, and so they just spread out throughout the fringe paths, and, and if they run into any Mellor, they take care of them. You notice, though, one of the things about old men is that they always have a bunch of pangolas with them. Maybe the old men are the ones who created the pangolisk. Well, because it was said in the old men's uh, write-up that they have very high medical skills. That could also include biochemistry, genetics... The yeah. xenobiology, all those high skills, and they just live this laid-back kind of style because, let's face it, if you're walking around looking like you're high-tech, that draws attention. If you sit there dressing furs and leather pants and boots and wear a, you know, a hat to keep the sun out of your eyes, you're not going to look all that technologically imposing. You're absolutely right. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the Tamelaran trees are very unimpressive when you first see them. But when you start realizing all that they can do, you that this is just absolute genius that was involved in creating this life form. Yeah. The whole less is more thing, yeah. Oh, yeah. You walk inside, it's a, it's a treehouse. And you know, rooms are created as you need them. You don't need a room, it's not there anymore. You need food, it grows a pod that has steak-flavored meat inside of it. It grows another pod, it has globules of wine. It grows another pod, it has your, your salad. <laughs> Whatever you need, it, it can grow. It can grow medicines for you. When I had a tomato tree one time, before we really dealt with this whole Brupian thing, you just go and take a, a material that you needed, a chemical, and you could just apply it to the bark of the tree, and it would just start producing pods of that, whatever it was that you wanted. Assuming, of course, that you, you it liked you. Yeah, and yes, it can make diesel fuel. Well, sure, because form of diesel fuel that, that works very well is sunflower seed oil. Okay, so and that's a natural product of a sunflower. So therefore, is there's no reason why a, a tree couldn't produce something like that. But the pangolists usually are found in the company of the old men. Yeah. Or is there the occasional pangolist just wandering around the fringe paths? Because if these pangolists are as smart as they say, are you going to sit there and walk 50 miles per platform, or are you going to sit there and climb into the backpack of an old man and let him do the walking? These guys are made for walking. Well, they'll just be seen as part of, like, how we have dogs. Like, the pangolus is there. They'll help scavenge food. It helps find things. If you're sleeping, its senses will wake you up. That type of thing. That type of beneficial... Yeah. It sees the old man as sort of an, the alpha male of its little pack. And the backpack is a great place to put your young. Oh. Those little penguins pups. The old man uh, forms the father figure, and the Brupian forms the genius child kind of concept, and the pangolists are, are like the inquisitive little sister concept. Oh, okay. All right. You have a kind of a family unit that they can go around, but they'll quite easily detach themselves from uh, one group and move to another as long as they're welcome. This old man, all of a sudden, they all abandon him, come running over to the, the IDET team. He's going to go, okay, and just keep on walking. He's not going to be like, oh, I can't believe you're abandoning me now. <laughs> doesn't care. Because you know you can get more. Grin on his face. <laughs> hey, good luck with those. That's fine. <laughs> Check your backpack every so often. Bye. <laughs> they, they love nesting in waste paper. Of course, what you consider waste paper and what they consider waste paper. Right. Yes. Our log books. Where did you say, Bruce? If you run to a miller, grab two pangolists under each arm and say, Well, punk, you think you're lucky? 
<laughs> I, I know how to use them. Right. You know, the excitement. I forgot. Did this pangolin spit five times or six? I'm just crazy enough to make him spit. I swear to God, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I tickle him right here. <laughs> Let's try to talk about some fringe walker survival techniques. So that you know, if you're going to play a fringe walker, whatever your race is, then or maybe in, specifically to what techniques or strategies would be used by some of these races. I see a, a number of different types of, of fringe walker groups. We've talked about them. One is is the, the individual walker, and then there's the small group, and then there's the large walker groups, more along the lines, as you said, the, the gypsies. Keep in mind that unless they are carrying crystals, they are limited to only the worlds that are open. They're going to have be in the same kind of situation as the early IDET explorers, where they're at least going to know how to read the pylon, but they're going to be hesitant and, and need to have some careful techniques about going through and exploring the world because they can't assume that they're going to run into an IDET team who's going to adopt them because they're so cute and cuddly. Right. Yeah. So in the case of the individual walkers, especially the old men, I see them as knowing that primarily people travel on the top surface of the fringe pass because they don't know about rotating the fringe pass, that I suspect that most of the time professional fringe walkers like the old men are going to actually walk on the underside as a matter of course. I also believe that they are going to have some camouflaged clothes or some drapes of some kind that they can lay down on the fringe pass on the underside, cover themselves over so that it has the same coloration as the actual fringe pass. So unless you're putting light on the bottom side of the fringe pass, which you're probably not, at most you would be maybe taking a peek with a mirror on the underneath of the fringe pass, you're not even going to see that person in, in the center or offset in, in the 31 feet wide fringe pass. They'll be invisible because they'll just a little hump that as you move along, you probably not see at all. Yeah. This is also a, a, a very a useful technique anywhere. Because remember, these, these fringe paths are 50 miles long. Therefore, you're not going to be inching along a fringe path checking to see if you see anything you're going to be looking for something that is big and walking and moving or driving or something that's that's going to have some reflectivity to it some easily identifiable motion so they have plenty of warning when somebody is coming along the fringe paths that would suck if that was your first encounter wait a second we just hit something on the fringe path well that's yeah that's why they would be on the inner side not the top side yeah i'm thinking that uh, spy glasses and binoculars would also be a very good safety mechanism for them to be able to look further down the fringe path and see something stupid coming before they saw you and then have some way to perhaps even enough acrobatic skill to swing yourself off the path and onto the other side it wouldn't take much if you were right in the middle of it so yeah so they dress in gray to match the fringe pass I think a lot of it does also very social and charisma-based stuff. Just the ability to say hi, be non-threatening, and not look like a good target to shoot for morons who like to shoot everything. Right. But at the same time, be, be able to show a smiling face and say hi to people who look interesting. Well, unless they're very unlucky, I don't see them ever accidentally coming on to a fringe group. I see them as seeing them go by and then introducing themselves, seemingly just walking the fringe, along the fringe path, when in fact is, is that they've been watching you for a while, and then they climb up onto the fringe path and come walking along like they've been doing this for days or something. And Oh, you, you, you walk from the other platform? Oh, yes. Or they've learned how to exit onto the platform through the other side of the main ring, so that instead of going to the center, they're going to the outside. 
Also, they may kind of seek to arrange to, if you have an adventure, to be out on the platform when you get done with it and come back through, sitting in a, a non-threatening pose saying howdy, to just to make an introduction and meet you and find out what's going on with you. You can do all kinds of things. Walk onto a platform and, and, and say, howdy, strangers, you got anything worth buying and selling? I personally don't see that. I, I see them as being a lot more cautious than that. If they're small in a small group like that. Now, if they're bigger, if they're literally clan size, well, then they can start bringing along with them the ability to keep their technology going regardless of the world in which they go to. I mean, I can see them at these big, long steam-powered or... Or wind-powered. Actually, steam's not a good idea. We already talked about that. But let's say diesel-powered or whatever, vehicles using very simple engines in them so they can go into a world and they can cut down trees and, and restock or they can go into a world where maybe the technology doesn't match at all, but they still have metals and they can take that back and they can use that to repair their things. They would be very self-sufficient yeah. is what I'm trying to say. A nomad train would be able to really reproduce itself technologically and with people over a period of time. Right. To be able to keep up with wear and damage and things like that. That would be a good merchant caravan driving from platform to platform and exploring planets to see if there's anybody to sell to. Right. I think individual fringe walkers or small groups would be really good at improvising around a lack of technology because they'd be going from Stone Age up to Space Age with each ring. You would, you would never know. So you'd have to be able to really rely on your own resources and really be clever about how you approach things. And yeah, like Bruce was saying, you would not ever just just stumble into something unless something was going horribly wrong. You'd always be in control, at least of yourself and what you were doing, if not have a really good tick on the whole situation, if you they're, could get it. They're also very good at infiltrating places. I mean, you find a safe portal, you, all the lights are good, so you know you're not going to freeze or burn or whatever. You step through, and you find yourself on a hill overlooking a city. They really don't want to call attention to themselves, so they, they're very good at infiltration. Someone might notice them some clothes have been stolen off the clothesline or something like that, and they try to dress like the locals so they can sneak around and find what's going on get some supplies, and then get the hell out of Dodge. Right. And if you have Pangolus in your party, it wouldn't be that hard for you to set up some kind of little animal show where you earn money and food or whatever you not, might need. You could justify your existence as saying, oh, I'm an animal trainer. You know, these are my animals. And, of course, you, you make sure that the, the Pangolus are all dressed in a little costume that hide their extra arms. Yeah. And so they look like little... That's Brupian. Well, the Brupians, you're just going to have to hide. <laughs> they, Pangolus are anteaters. Right. Yeah. They look it. an awful lot like oh, anteaters or something. Yeah. But the point is, is that their natural agility and stuff like that would allow them to do all kinds of stunts that could earn some coin. And that was a very common way of, of people who were travelers earning money. One of the things that I was going to mention that I think would be an ideal situation for a, a group of fringe walkers would be a carnival. Oh, yes. Yeah, very good big idea. Big time. Big time. Yeah, they're carny. They're very carny, yeah. A large group could just roll through a portal and they could entertain the locals and get food or and collect whatever resources they need and then just roll off and they just disappear. And was like, what happened to these people? Where'd they go? So these larger groups may actually even have all the different, there may be an old man with the group, there may be some slargs with that group. Yeah, you're going to try to convince us this is a giant wolfhound you got there, even though he's got a head shaped like a alligator's face with fur. Yeah, that, isn't that a wonderful costume, ladies and gentlemen? Right this way. Yeah, well, the uh, carnivals have freak shows. 
And yep. you say, we picked this thing up off of an island in the middle of the South Pacific. And we don't know what it is, but it's friendly. So watch while it juggles with all three hands. Yeah, or this is the giant wolfhound of Bao Bao in the Great Southern Ocean. Bark for them. Bark, bark. Let's watch. We put a uh, put a blindfold on this dog, and it can still... Of course. Yes, or it can still tell you how many fingers you're holding up. Slark's just sitting there thinking, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> there better be some beer in this for me. Yeah, food is worth this. Yeah. <laughs> Look, better you than me. Oh, no. Why do I have but, to wear yeah. this stupid hat and dance while he plays that little organ? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Organ grinder, yeah. Um, no, but that was a good point that these groups, like the gypsies, let's say you had a predominantly humans from a alternate Earth who decided to all go fringe walking. They'll adopt people of other races if they do them kindness in one way. So you might see like a bunch of humans with a couple of slargs, an old man, a pangolus, a burpian, or other races. They're not going to be always totally, what's the word, homogenous. Absolutely. They're not going to be... T- I agree, they wouldn't be. Yeah, because they're going to pick up whoever they can to help them survive. Again, the whole safety and numbers thing. And the fact that most fringeworthy are very, very rare. So you take what you get. You're listening to the Fringeworthy Podcast. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. I just want to throw out Demixie because we haven't said it yet. Oh, Demixie would be really hard to, to explain away. Describe the Demixie to me again, please. Giant spiders with arms. Yeah. <laughs> oh, with an internal skeleton so there's no funny physics yeah. going on. And lungs. Dill. And they're of the, all the races, I think they're the most like humans, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they've got the most human psychology. A Demixie would sit down right next to you and grab up your Xbox controller, and he'd be playing Halo with you and just having a great old time. So I could see them having those guys go along. i got to have one of those guys come in here and do that to my best friend, Arachnophobia. <laughs> he was uh, just plots. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, they are one of the races that a lot of people have trouble with because of that. Mm-hmm. And there may be a lot of other races out there that don't have trouble with that. I don't know. I know that humans on this planet seem to have a real problem with it, but yeah. I know people who keep them as pets too, so uh-huh. it's up to the players and the GM. I mean, obviously, they look exotic enough that, again, you, the longs are willing to play dumb. Giant spider found in the deep forests of Borneo. Mm-hmm. Every day we have to drain its fangs. You know, however, it has a huge beneficial effect. And Doc Johnson over there will be glad to show you his elixir that restores male potency. With <laughs> <laughs> not, not snake oil, spider oil. Really different thing. No. And of course the spider is going, I don't have venom. I hope they don't actually milk something. <laughs> well, well Mixie do, do produce web. They do make spider silk. Yes. If, if they have spinners, then yes, you could produce. Yeah, because I remember there were two different Demixie breeds slash casts. I think hunters and spinners or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the hunters probably have hunter line, which is different from a spinner who make like a web. Imagine that a, a spinner would actually have a more bulbous abdomen to, to hold more fluid. 
because to produce a web is going to take a lot more. I was just saying the hunters probably would have fangs because they were hunters. They were the ones who actually went out and they would catch their food, but they'd also attack it and be those uh, what evolutionary differences. It's a world where the great genera, because orthopods, Orthop- yeah, arthropods. Arthropods, so crabs, spiders, pretty much the predominant race on the surface, and probably in the water too. But they've adapted, and then they have an internal structure, and they've they've grown big. Their dinosaurs were big crabs or stuff like crabs. I, I don't want to go to that world. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the deadliest catch! Oh boy, have me that harpoon. <laughs> but if you think about that, they might just have to keep that on the list as an alt somewhere. Land the dinosaur crabs. <laughs> Actually, I've I had for one of my alt games of uh, the the con. Coral. The con coral giant mobile coral accretions, size of islands. They're just huge. Jay? I'm here. Uh, Jay, did you ever see the original Godzilla? The uh, 1950s version? Uh huh. Uh, yeah, but it's been a very long time ago. All I remember is Aaron Burr being stentorian at the screen. Raymond. Raymond Burr. Well, actually, uh, Godzilla had toe crabs, and he killed a, a fisherman at the very beginning of the film. And he also fought giant crab, too, later on in later movies. Well, they were very scary. It was one of the hints that the size of the toe crab were so huge that the toe that went with the crab had to be equally gigantic. Extrapolating further, there was a giant monster walking around. I was just thinking that it would make a great little adventure. You, there's your fringe ready team. They're on this world. They're investigating things. And there is this carny going on. Carney's got this have something they want or be an obstacle to something they want. But the carny is made of fringe walkers. They walk by, they stop and stare for a second. This is like an early years, so you won't recognize Pangalisk or a Slarg. But the leader's crystal is driving him friggin' oh. bananas. Either that or have one of these fringe carnies actually come to Earth through a gate that nobody knows of yet, have the fringe-worthy called out because there's something weird going on here, and weird's your job. Get out there and look at it. Yeah, the find actually the, another ring station or, or warp on Earth Prime would be a major find. It'd be good for a, you're going to run Fringeworthy, but you want to run it with Bureau Thirteen characters. For example, you're going to Fringeworthy campaign, but you're going to start it over in Bureau Thirteen. That would be a cool group. Or if you want to reboot your Bureau Thirteen game. Perfectly, you want to reboot your Bureau Thirteen game. Let's say you guys have run it and you've been playing. You're like, all right, look, we need to expand this because we're getting bored with what we're doing at this moment. They run into this crazy carnival and wind up on the fringe pass. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The way you could do it is basically just okay. It's a carnival. There's weird stuff. Through detective work, you find out. Wait a minute. Their tire tracks end abruptly here. What's going on? After this point, they don't continue. And then from there, they find out. Why is my Corellian detector going off the charts? Ian getting their fingerprints, and it comes back, well, that person died 20 years ago. Or worse, cast the tire tracks, and they go a CSI on it, and they go, wait a second. Nobody uh, ever made that kind of tire. We got a DNA sample, but there's a problem with this DNA sample. What's that? The mitochondria. What's that? <laughs> it's, it's not, well, it's not human. Yeah. <laughs> right. Human DNA, but the mitochondria is completely wrong. Well, Bob, we know something weird is going on. How do we know something weird is going on? This giant seed on legs has been following me around and hugging my leg for the past two days. And this blind dog has been talking to me. Uh, again, I had to quit drinking again, after this that. Is Bureau 13 here. We'd have to get <laughs> a little weirder than that. Yeah. That's why they're not, that's why they're not running around screaming. Yeah. They're talking about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, what did the blind dog say? He asked right. me if I had any food. So it is, right. in fact, a dog. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. You got snacks? Me hungry. We want snacks. <laughs> it's a talking dog. 
The Carney idea, I believe that there is even one of those on one of the portal worlds. There is somebody who set up a Carney and there are fringe worthy beings there, like a Slarg and something else in cages as, oh, this is part of our act. I remember seeing that one of the portal pages. I forget which of the two books it was, but after look. Kind of uh, chitty chitty bang bang, but meaner. Yeah. That's true here. If you think about it, you one way of finding a Slarg or Brupian. Or any one of the races, they went to a world and, well, they got caught and they're now oddities in a zoo someplace. They're really intelligent animals, so we actually had to put the special locks on this cage and put a roof over top. That giant spider thing could just crawl right out if we didn't do that. And don't believe whatever that dog says. Trust us. Yeah. Yeah. And the first thing you're thinking is, says? <laughs> that would be predicated on that it talks. <laughs> well, I hate to say this. The second dog talks. The first one didn't talk much after we autopsy. We took it apart. Yeah, because I hate to say it, some places would dissect them to find what they are. Yeah. yeah. Eventually, one of the slargs would wind up being the mascot over at Area 51. Yeah. Maybe a slarg on the beach going, you blew it up, maniacs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Then we understood bright eyes. Oh, Yeah. Okay, but uh, another aspect of the Fringe Walkers that I wanted to mention is that I would say that as a group, universally have iron constitutions. Because we have talked so many times about the dangers of going to an alien world and eating something that you shouldn't be eating or getting exposed to drunk flour. They would really have a sharp eye out for developing any kind of symptoms right off the bat. And they would know enough to take tiny nibbles and wait and see if their faces exploded or something. Yeah, they would probably have, let's see, high medical skills, probably high fort saves because of all of a sudden you find out a world just happens to have, oh, a little too much ammonia in the atmosphere. Well, after a while, you're going to start asphyxiating and you're going to realize... That's just going to be an evolutionary trait on a lot of these long-lived friend-walk groups. The hard thing about things like that is that kind of slow asphyxia, that kind of slow loss of oxygen, is actually yeah. really hard for us to detect. I mean, people die who should know better, but by the time they realize something is going on, their judgment is shot, and they're already yeah. pretty toasty. I don't like to put situations like that on worlds in the fringe-worthy game because then it's a really subtle kind of give-me-a-spot-check wow, that looks really silly. And if they don't make the spot check, they don't realize that they're getting messed up until it falls below a certain level and they collapse and die. Well, it's like having carbon dioxide levels just below what's toxic for humans. You'd be in a closed room for like 15 minutes and you pass out. Yeah, it, I mean, CO2. that would be no fun to play, you know? Yeah. And so you'd want to kind of stick into the area where it would be more fun to play. So yeah, a carnival that says, oh, come here, stranger, but wants to put you on display players can deal with that an atmosphere that subtly poisons you before you realize it yeah no i just mean that the because they would learn to pick up on certain things that over time just as i said these long-lived groups probably they would have a little bit higher fortitude saves and a little bit higher stamina and the decent yes. medical skills to pick right. up on things like because we may have eaten a fruit that all but i forget which system it was in i believe it was hero system it had an advantage called danger sense you got a perception check early because your character was so used to being in danger that his senses were hyper-attuned to it. Kind of a, bing, something's wrong. Don't know what it is, but figure it out on the other side of the Actually, portal. Actually, I think there's a feat like that in D20. Yeah, there's a couple there's of feats that are like danger sense where you get to roll a wisdom roll or a spot check or something. And in Hero System, it was a talent, I believe, is what it was. They or took talents out after the third edition. 
I learned fourth edition and fifth edition. Yeah. I have not gotten into sixth edition yet. And it's an edge in Savage World. So yeah, picking up on certain cues. Yeah, they would. subtle things that are wrong. A high perception check, a high wisdom check, wisdom save. An iron stomach. They can just eat it learned over time to be able to eat just about anything. If you got enough ketchup, you can eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not eating me first. A good technique, of course, would be to always cook your food. Yes. That's the number one thing that denatures bad proteins is heat. That's a big help, taking your food and rubbing it on your skin, in case of like fruits and vegetables to see if you have a reaction. If you were to actually try to design your character according to a background of being a fringe walker, then I think that taking feats that have to do with better fort saves, resistances to, to certain diseases and things like that would be a thing to do. From the standpoint of the GM, knowing that going through the fringe paths and the portals boosts the person's immune system, they already have a bonus there that is not usually talked about. It's not part of the system. It's just kind of assumed that if you go to a world, you're not going to instantly, everything you touch is going to kill you. Right. You're going to have some amount of resistance, and it's assumed that the GM is not is going to not screw over the players, but also it's... The boosting effect of the fringe travel is also there to kind of help explain the fact that why is it that you've gone into an alien world which has got to have three or four things that you're not going to like and yet you're, you barely notice them. Well, it's because of that bio-boosting effect. So the GM has that in their toolkit all the time. Yeah. But from the standpoint of character creation, I would definitely take those kinds of feats that would represent your ability to resist those environmental hazards. Okay, uh, it would make a fringe walker a really useful character to have in a party because his sensory area would be really tuned to notice danger before anybody else's. And his ability to cope with things while the rest of the party is down with nearly crippling hay fever, he's sniffling and riping his eyes and pulling them back to the uh, portal. But he won't go back home with you to Earth Prime because he's deathly afraid of he'll be arrested or, or Shanghai or something. He wants his freedom. Or disassembled like that Slark a couple of planets back. Yeah. The only reason they didn't try to do that with... The first Slark? No, uh, Doctor Who. Dalek. The Dalek, thank you. The only reason they didn't try to do that with the Dalek was they were instantly afraid that as soon as he went through the portal, there wouldn't be any 10 minutes until he got his powers back. It would be immediate. So they never let him come on Earth Prime, ever. They just kept him on other worlds, and they discovered that, yes, he got his powers back almost immediately. So they kept him on, on the exploration side of it pretty heavily. Ties back into to Unita and Anidet, the Alien Corps. I think that there would be a branch of the Alien Corps for Fringe Walkers. Be after mid campaign after a long, painful. What would this branch do, John? Main job is to an outreach to Fringe Walkers to get them to to trust Idet. We're not going to Shanghai you. We're not going to force you to be in our teams, and we're not going to dissect you. We're basically it's an outreach project. We really want you to be part of the bigger picture. If I were running Idet. I would have a booth on the main alt platform and basically sell fringe walkers tools and goodies in exchange for debriefs about what they've seen and where they've been for good information. Basically use a light touch to try to get what they had easily available, which was information about what's out there that we don't know. I agree. I don't think it'd be part of the alien core. I think it'd be part of the diplomatic core. Yeah, I would be thinking that'd be more of a diplomatic maneuver, trying to just be nice to these people who obviously have been out on the fringe paths far longer than we have. Let's pick their brains and give them something worth their while 
would, it would have to be something unique to Earth Prime. Well, these people are first coming to this world. Let's find out from them something that they don't have. In return, we'll give them this, and they give us information. Like, what's over the next platform? You know, you'd want diplomacy experts to deal with these guys because if if they knew they could sell information for goods, they could lie. They could make stuff up. So you'd want a guy who could pick up on that kind of thing, and that's but be selling them stuff that's relatively cheap on Earth Prime. Good camping equipment, good steel knives, good tools, and other stuff. Get some uh, feedback from the fringe walkers themselves. What kind of stuff do you really like? Set up like a Burger King on the platform. Yeah, but you (laughs) just got to remember, if they lie to you, bad information is worse than no information at all. In many cases, yeah, you're going to have to treat it all as bad until you can get it confirmed. Right. Because there's one final version of the fringe walker we haven't mentioned, and that is spies. Yeah. Mm. People who are posing as wanderers, who in fact are people that are disinformation experts, who are scouting out the next 100 platforms to see whether or not something get an advantage to some power center further one direction or another. Well, they're pirates. It's a pirate, and he's just... I was going to say, yeah, those Mac of fringe pirates there, because usually the fringe walkers, we said earlier that they're not in this to help some grander organization. They're in it for their own reasons. Oh, yeah. A spy posing as a fringe walker, especially if they had the skills to carry it off, would be scary. Right. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm, On I'm, that regard, yes. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying that they're fringe walkers. They are definitely posing as fringe walkers because right. based on the definition we really never got to, a fringe walker would be somebody who does not have a permanent association with some group somewhere that they're acting on their behalf. Yeah. I like that that definition. Yeah. That's- Somebody who travels the fringe paths without a larger group affiliation. Not a permanent one. Yeah, not much larger than his family and, and or friends he's accumulated. Yeah, like Bruce said, not a permanent one. What was that, Robert? That was me. Yeah. So these spies, they're posing as just benevolent walkers who are looking, they're just traveling. Exploring. And they're actually collecting information for some other organization, much maybe much like IDED, right. but on another world. That's true, which... Which tells you that uh, as a player character, you can also can do you mm. strip off your uniforms, put on the raggy clothes, thrift store find backpacks and poses fringe walkers a hundred platforms down someplace. I guess the next question would be bellhops and the people working the platform Burger King. How good a job of observation could they do? Devise a way to falsify the proposition that this person is an authentic fringe walker and not a spy. Well, I think what you would do is that you would do what they do everywhere. You'd set up honeypots. Okay. You'd set up information about a world and say, this pocket stop, we found these great things there. Aha. And then they say, oh, really? Well, good luck with that. And then two weeks later, there's an assault on there, but you are waiting for that, and so you take out a group. And Now you've got some people who have some information about your opposition. Right. And you make sure that each group of fringe walkers get different information so you can actually tie it to which group you had, we were talking to. That's going to be a lot of prep time. Wow. You're going to have to be taking over a lot of alts and pocky worlds to set them up as honeypots in order to blow up. Depends on how long you want to wait. You want to, say, give them a month, then you can reuse that pocket world over again if you want to. And how often would fringe walkers actually come by? Well, that's a question for the GM. Yeah. The GM has to decide how rich that culture is as far as showing up. If, if fringe-worthy are as rare as hen teeth, then you might run into fringe walkers maybe once or twice in an entire campaign. Mm-hmm. I would tend to say in a game I was running that they would be present and they would be a pretty sizable culture. 
the question would be how close is the, our initial starting point to that culture and how long is it until our PCs begin encountering it? Yeah. And of course, you could just use them you know, to carry the big old plot hammer. Yes. The pangolins are just perfect for that. They run up, they pull on your leg, they hand you a note. <laughs> What's the note say? It says, squee, 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 squee. No, it says help. <laughs> Or, and then they stand up on the front of the RV or the vehicle, like a hood ornament, pointing in the direction you're supposed to go, and you just... <laughs> Ta-da! Buzz, buzz. They got all those arms. They can hold on pretty well, and you just keep going until they finally point you at a portal, and you go running through, and adventure unfolds. So yeah. Yeah. it's an easy tool for the GM, though. I'm sure that wouldn't want to do that more than once without players hanging me from my heels. People show up. Quick, there's a problem you must solve every so often is a pretty valid point. Having it happen every week is kind of like, did somebody put out a flyer or something? Are we Fridge Path Mary Worth now? Do I have sucker written across my forehead? Or I, I do, actually, but the question is, do the PCs? Yeah, the more worlds you come into contact with, the more crystals you find. Yeah. If you have a thousand low-level crystals then you're going to have a lot of people out there looking for Fringeworthy on their own worlds, and you're going to have a lot of people showing up on the fringe paths. So it's up to the GM to how empty those fringe paths are going to be. And like I said, there, there are the accidentals, like uh, the girl from the Great Train Wreck. Technically, if she had gotten enough courage, she could have became a fringe walker at that point. Of course, you have teams that they find the fringe train, and the first thing you do is push the lever all the way. And then regret <laughs> it afterwards. Guess what? They just became fringe walkers. Yeah. <laughs> That would be an interesting game to run, but boy, I'd want to put my ducks in a row before I started it. Oh, my. You know, we are not mentioning the most dangerous type of French walker, and that would be a Meller with a crystal. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh boy. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. He can pose as anything. I mean, they're clever. And win your trust, get invited in, and then infiltrate your world. It's what they're designed to do. Mm -hmm. They may or may not want to actually go to a world because once they get through, then you might you'd be more in position to grab them, examine them, look for wrong color blood and things like that. While they're actually out on the fringe paths, then they're more likely to be in a situation that they can control better. They will mine you for as much information as they can. Sure. Because they want to know where your world is so that later on they can come back to it. If I was a Meller, I would run into the Fringeworthy. I would help them. I would get them to trust me to the point where they wouldn't automatically go and give me a Meller test just because I walked through their portal. I would also include a lot of body taboos, religious body taboos. Oh, you must not take my blood. That is the life kind of thing so that they can't examine him without offending him. <laughs> if he's on the French path, he turns back into a Meller, he's toast. Yep. So it's a dangerous place. For Most players, if they meet a traveler who helps them out, gives them good information, they never think once about it being a Meller. It just goes right on by that. I agree. And most people wouldn't, especially if you pull this guy in, say, early middle campaign. No one's even going to know that they're really around. The big reveal would be important. At what point he pulled out the mask and yelled, ha, 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 I've been a bad guy all along. That would be a really important point, too, for the GM to design and lay carefully. You know, I think about it. There actually is one more fringe walker race, but we already know about them. The Tamelin. Right. Mert is technically a fringe walker. Well, he may have a home, but he can walk anywhere. He can go anywhere he wants to. 
Yeah, he can. That's the point. He's not really wandering. He's yeah. not exploring. He has a very specific purpose in mind. He's out there fixing the fringe pass. Yes. I think that takes him out of the fringe walker category because the fringe walker is doing it as an exploration, not only a physical exploration, what's what's behind that portal, but maybe even a spiritual exploration of just who am I really. And Schmert already knows. And not all Termelon are as advanced as Termelon primes. So you may have a Termelon who's out there walking. He's less evolved or less advanced Termelon races that survived the war. Or simply, he's he could simply be young. Maybe he was only 20 years old. Right. Yeah. There's nothing to say that Tremelon aren't still out there, still breeding, still having young. Well, they're the alternate Tremelors. The Tremelon primes are gone. They've left. With the numbers you're describing, hundreds of millions of worlds. Yeah, there's going to be Tremelon who, yeah. who are just watching I Love Lucy and somebody said, there's a hole in the sky and you can go to these places between worlds. Right. That was the whole reason why they created the French Pass was to find those brothers... Sometimes they wore the same skin and the same fur, and sometimes they look like us. Uh, I was objecting to the idea that Schmert was. However, I agree with you absolutely, John, that a, a Tamelaran race that just happens to be part of the Commonwealth, they can be a fringe walker just like any other race can be. And, but people will think automatically if they know anything about Tamelan, hey, that guy, he's Tamelan Prime. Yeah. Tamelan. Yeah, he knows everything. Yeah, his life's going to be miserable. His life will be short. <laughs> yeah. I don't think most PCs, if, if they met a Tremelorn who was helpful, unless I actually tried to really be hardcore about role-playing the rhyming part of the characterization. Oh. But <laughs> if they ran into somebody who was helpful, who then later on had to say, I'm not what you think I am, I'm not one of these experts who built this thing, I'm from a universe where we never got that far, they'd go, oh, well, the GM screwed us all, friend, Amen. let's hate him together. Hate me not, for I do not know how to make this pass go. John, you're scary, man. This coming from you with that voice you do. Okay. Pot, kettle, kettle, guess what? You're all black. I did, not, I did not say that my, well, for lack of a better term, my key gag voice was not grounds for kill it with fire, but still. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you run into the Tamelor and rappers. Yeah. <laughs> no, wrong. There's a GF jangling out of a window by his ankles. Oh, wow. <laughs> Full of wrong right to the rim there, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. You have players to say, hey, we want to do something really different. Why can't we play Termelon? At that point, I say, you guys put the pipe away. And- <laughs> <laughs> or you can play the Termelon, but they're not going to be the Termelon primers. Yeah. Because they're gone. They're basically Termelon 1950s Termelon yep. with the same level of technology. Would there be a Termelon Cold War? Would they be actually, worried about Termelon communists? If you read the history, Termelon are not peaceful. They actually are. They were warlike. They did actually really? go to war. They did go to war. Yeah. Uh, my understanding was that they had sublimated that aggressive impulse into a creative slash competitive impulse. Yes, but still there. It doesn't take that much to push it the other way if, you, if you're desperate. Well, no, after the Melor War went hot, they had to relearn how to fight. Yes, that's true. Time. Yeah. And you could tell the ones who are scary at it, they're still alive. No, no, you can tell the ones that are good at it, they're the ones that decimated their worlds trying to get rid of the Melor. Those were the good ones. Yeah. Those were the ones who learned too well. Yeah. That's the only good Melor is a gooey Melor. Well, they're all gooey on the inside. I like it when they're gooey on the outside. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Kill it with fire. We don't know if it's we don't know if it's a Miller. Kill it with fire and sort the ashes out. 
Unless, of course, it's when the Miller, they're immune to fire. <laughs> or what did I say on the forums, Bruce? The how to get rid of a Miller, shoot first, empty your weapons into it later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take samples later. Yeah. yeah. So we can see that the Fringe Walkers come in a variety of different shapes, colors, and sizes of groups. And they all have different techniques for survival. And so the GM has a lot of options when they want to bring a Fringe Walker. Don't be afraid of them. They're not as smart or as uh, omniscient as they like people to think they are. They're just as afraid as IDET team members are. And a little bit of negotiation and diplomacy goes a long way. That and also fresh fruit and chocolate, just like people in our world. And clean underwear. <laughs> okay, so next to the, the platform uh, Burger King, we're making a laundromat. Okay, got it. Feel free to add them to your fringe campaign. Make sure that you uh, look ahead to see what their long-term effects are going to be and because they're going to be carrying a lot of information with them from all kinds of different places, which would be great adventure hooks, but also means that those places sooner or later are going to have to be accounted for and they may change your campaign. So they're a great resource to treat them with as much seriousness as you do the rest of your campaign. That's all we have for now, but we'll have more next week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun.